Hello and welcome to episode one of the Brew and Bright Show, sponsored by the MacLandon User Group. So why did we make a podcast, you might ask? This year has been rather different for all of us. Thanks to COVID-19 and all of its restrictions for our health, it has forced us to change the way we would communicate. And we'd also been discussing for a while now about producing a podcast to help and support and engage with fellow Apple users. Whether you're new to Apple and you've just bought a new iPad, or you've been using Apple products since the early days of the Apple One, we wanted to create a podcast for all ages and abilities. We hope that we can engage with a wider community of Apple users as well as other Mac user groups. As part of the show, we are going to discuss all the latest news, reviews, rumours from the Apple community and hopefully answer all your tech questions that you might have whilst using your Apple products on a daily basis. Today we're going to talk about all the recent news from the Apple's Time Flies event, the new products that got announced and our predictions for the rest of the year. My name's Craig, and joining us today, we have committee members Martin and our resident technical expert, Alistair. First up, who of us managed to capture the event live? I did. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting what Apple were releasing. Interesting that we didn't get an iPhone, but we got a new watch. What did you think, Martin? Um, Well, I I was quite surprised at the uh, one of the brevity of the actual... uh, uh, the uh, broadcast itself, I thought it was going to go on longer. Um, and obviously this new virtual world that we're in has given them a time to make the presentation much slicker. I thought it was quite well done. Uh, it was nice to see so many aspects of, uh, of Apple Park itself. Um, definitely a place I want to see on my bucket list to, to visit. It looks fascinating. Um, and it was a very slick presentation. They rattled through the, um, the products, which... They did without uh, you know, the usual first 20 minutes of how well we've done, this is our quarter, we're the greatest things since sliced bread, all that kind of stuff that goes on at a meeting. Uh, it was all done away with. They moved straight into the two new products. Um, the presentations were, were quite clear and precise. Um, and I thought uh, the overall um, show was very enjoyable. As I said, I was just surprised that it lasted just barely over an hour. Yeah, I was expecting it to go on longer as well. Um, I was wondering if they had cut it short because they had managed to do all the prep work ahead of time because it's being recorded virtually, so they managed to time it better. So no one was overrunning, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, um, I got the impression that maybe there was meant to be another item, that they uh, they couldn't get the other item in, in, in uh, ready and uh, online. Because you can imagine that that show will have been put together what over the last two months. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Sections of it could have been easily adapted and altered. Like when he came on and said, "We've got two new pr- products to talk about tonight." That could have easily been, "We've got three new products to talk about tonight." So I think I think there was something missing. I think they uh, decided not to go with something, um, and that's why it was so short. Uh, remind me of the 2016 um, presentation they did, whereby they released. They had two presentations: one in September, one in October. And the iPhone SE didn't come out until the October presentation. And the reason was was because the FCC at the time wouldn't give them the, the ratification and clearance to release it. So that's why they had to delay it at the time. Mm-hmm. 
I just yeah, I just I just got the impression that I think uh, it, something might have been pulled at the last minute. Um, and of course, by by doing a recording like that, it's easily done. If there's say that have been at a show, they might have been more tempted to to go with some brief news about an item and then say, look, you know, release next month. But as I said, overall, it was very slick, very Apple, um, quite interesting. And as I said, it moved along at a, 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 a pace so much so that uh, uh, Craig Federighi had to dive out of the way a couple of times. He was uh, in a passing shot and that was it. That's all we saw of him. So um, it was a, a, a strange turn up. So, and lots of new people, lots of new presenters. They've obviously moved away from the, just having the same old crowd come out each week, each year. Uh, and 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 say what they what we've got to do, but yeah, it was uh, it was quite a good show. What did you think of those motherboards we saw on the uh, when they were talking about the uh, the the new uh, uh, technology? Because it looked like on the motherboards, it looked like they had small iPhones mounted, and it looked quite sort of tempting to say this is what could be happening in our our test room. Yeah, that was down in the bowels of the basement. I um, I was also kind of thinking, you know, Apple are quite good at being quite shrewd, and I was wondering if some of that was spoof items that they've they've put up. If there's, I'm sure there'll be people with super zooms looking in to see what it is, and all of a sudden they'll they'll find you know an Intel chip or a a power Motorola Power PC somewhere just to as a because Apple have always had a a, 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 um, a reputation for Easter eggs, haven't they, in in their yeah. older products. So I'm not sure whether – I don't think there was anything in there that was a secret that was going to be given away. Uh, they're far too good for that. But I, I, I wouldn't at all surprise if there was some um, some spoof items in, the, in those background shots. It wouldn't surprise me if you zoomed into the motherboard. It said uh, uh, acne or, you know, made by yeah. Road Runner or, That's right. uh, yeah. or, 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 or something silly like if you can read this you don't need glasses you know so, something very sort of apple and sort of hubris yeah they would they would so um but i haven't got my super zoom settings on yet so i can't really have a look in detail yet the interesting thing is i don't know if you saw um they published some images on their apple newsroom and one of them was actually that room in detail it was a high quality picture of the room. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't do that if there was something secret in there that they didn't. Either they want, they either want you to know about it. They want to frighten the other manufacturers, or, or don't forget, Apple have a a history of um, uh, taking over uh, product and apps from other other developers. You know, if you look at uh, a lot of the app, the uh, improvements in iOS. Uh, 12, 13, and 14. Some of them were direct competitors that were either bought up or just squeezed out by saying, well, we're now doing, we're now doing this app. You know, Dark, Dark Sky, for example, has now been uh, taken over. So, yeah, Apple have, Apple have always had a tricks department, and I think it's still working, feverishing away in the background, uh, seeing what more they can plot and plan. And don't forget that um, you've got Pixar, which is uh, was part of uh, Apple for many years, uh, with, with the when they bought uh, the company which uh, Steve Jobs was working for at the time, and that's how Disney came onto the board of being with Apple. So I get a feeling that there's some sort of like Disney feel to uh, some of the presentations they do at times. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of um, 
there's a lot of green screen. There was a lot of uh, 3D imaging, um, as well as some some good old fashioned drone photography. But uh, yeah, very 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 interesting look. But uh, uh, I, I don't think there was any secrets we'll really uncover from those pictures. No, the um, what, what was the um, the the product which you found most interesting at Apple released? Um, well, for me, I've got a Series 3 watch, and I've never felt uh, the need to upgrade at the time. But the new one they've announced now, being, being, a, being an old fogey like me, being at my, my great age, um, you tend to worry more and more about your health. So the, the heartbeat monitor or the blood, the, the blood, level, um, the ox, blood oxygen level meter suddenly starts making sense to a lot of uh, older, more mature people. And it's the first time I've actually thought, well, maybe it's time to upgrade the watch. Um, I didn't, I haven't seen anything in four and five to make me do that. But this one has certainly got me thinking about it, um, um, about whether I, I, I move from a three to a six. Yeah, it, it did look very interesting. I, I did find the science behind it quite interesting um, because if um, Apple's uh, research is going to come out from it because they managed to get a number of universities to look at different parts of the data. It might mm. actually produce a knock-on effect in other applications as well. So you may find that the NHS maybe in future years will be getting information from not only Apple watches, but maybe Google or, or Samsung because Samsung traditionally copies whatever Apple does. Um, and so be interesting to see what comes out. From it, I also was particularly interested by the fact that they chose navy blue for the first time, and I don't think Apple have released a navy blue uh, iPhone or uh, Apple Watch in the past in that particular colorway. Uh, so I thought that was quite an interesting step from their point of view. Uh, what would be interesting is to see what the battery life is on this new watch, because every time they release a new Apple Watch, they traditionally get better in battery life. Well, it, it's it's surprising with the watch being always on that it actually lasts uh, more than a full day. Um, and the other thing, this uh, to, to measure your sleep, obviously the watch needs to be on. So how do, how and when do you go about charging it? Um, I know with my my own watch, I tend to wear it all the time, and then when I'm going to jump in the shower in the morning, throw it on the on the charger for what maybe 15, 20, 20 30 minutes, and it seems to keep going. Um, sometimes though, I'll do. I'll take it off at night and give it a full charge overnight. Um, so it depends on 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 this the new watch how how the battery is going to support both um, both all day. Uh, sorry, always on. And secondly, if you're going to be checking your blood uh, oxygen levels, um, is that done on a routine basis? So you have a problem. Say you you have a a, a medical condition that needs you to have your um, uh, blood levels checked regular um, how will that impact on the on the watch and it's it's uh, battery life it would be interesting yeah definitely uh, i was wondering if they were running on some low energy power because didn't they announce last year that they can have a watch face which just goes to minimal amount of display and it just has like the time um, yeah. and i'm wondering if when it goes to sleep mode it literally shuts down as much as possible almost goes into like aeroplane mode and just shuts down like the do not disturb times and just literally just focuses on what it needs to do. Because mm. uh, Tim's open re opening remarks about how much he uses his watch. Um, if you used it for all that sort of usage, uh, 
uh, looking at pictures, listening to music, answering phone calls, taking notes, doing emails. You know, that would have a substantial uh, impact on the battery life. You'd, you'd have to almost charge it every day, which then negates some of the sleep aspects and the uh, health aspects of not wearing the watch at night. The, the other idea I had uh, was that you'd have maybe two watches. So you'd have the old generation and the new generation. So as one, you take one off and you put it on the charge and then you, you alternate it and then move to the new one. And because they've got the same Apple ID, it, it doesn't lose any data. So that might yeah. might affect it. It's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it could It could feed information back to your phone, for example, or an iPad or something like that, or even up to the cloud uh, for when you're not being used. But... Um, no, I think I think um, for people coming on to Apple Watches for the first time, it, it, I think it's a it's a pretty good uh, effort. The the thing that did catch my eye, you said uh, about what was un- what we was not seeing, Craig, um, was this thing about am- uh, 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 the family watch um, construct that all your family can have watches on one one plan, and you can keep track of all your little darlings wherever they may be. Um, I'm sure that'll go down really well with all my little darlings saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to be tracking you everywhere you go from now on. Um, and the other thing, that the one thing that worried me was, um, are you making them a target? You know, all of a sudden the little kids wearing $200 watches, 200 quid watches. Um, you know, are you opening up another area where, you know, the downside of it could be, be more attacks on children? So, hmm, interesting. The SC watch, again, was another uh, surprise. I, I didn't see that coming at all. I had no... I don't even think I've seen a rumour about it. So, Craig, what do you think about upgrading your watch? Are you ready to do that jump? I think I am. I've been with the Series 3 watch now for over two years. To be honest, I didn't see much point upgrading to the 4. There wasn't too much of a a speed bump. Um, I think I'm quite intrigued by the new features that series six has and to be honest i quite like the blue one that's something quite different about it to be honest in regards to battery health that we was discussing i don't know if you've checked martin but you can actually see the battery health similar to what you can on the phone and after two years i'm still on 97 percent battery health and i've worn my watch maybe 363 days of the year yes that's a good point i got my watch as a christmas present in 2017 so that's what come out for three years on the same battery so that's pretty impressive uh uh, battery i I haven't checked it's 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 health status uh you say you can do that in is that the watch app on the phone that you can check that in you can that's right Okay, I'll have a look at that later. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good going for a, for any lithium battery to last that amount of time, three years. Um, have mostly. you had have you had much play with the new OS for the watch? For the watch, no, not yet. I I, I downloaded a couple of bits and pieces um, and were playing around, but um, no, I haven't ha- had too much uh, of the looked at the new items. I decided to um, I decided to change my watch face from i had it uh, looking like a uh, chronograph and i thought well if i wanted to look like a chronograph i'd go and buy a rolex or something like that if this is a a digital watch so i went for one of the more minimalistic um 
uh, numerals just so at a glance I can look it's 8.45 and I've I suddenly decided that uh, yeah it's a digital watch why why are we trying to make it look like an old watch so I, I, I'm interested in some of the new faces that they've uh, they've shown up some of the more um, uh, what was I call it it's almost a throwback to the uh, to the 70s uh, psychedelia with some of them but uh, yeah yeah what why why make a digital watch look like a, a conventional watch it's not it's not the same at all I actually one of the first things I did when I did the update was to try and download some of the new faces to discover that I'd hit the maximum of new faces which I didn't know was 30 so I had to sit oh. and delete a few before I installed some new watch faces Oh, that's an interesting fact. I didn't know that. Oh, great. I'll have I'll, um, some of the old ones. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's different based on the model. Because the internal memory has changed as well, hasn't it? As we've gone further and further down the line. Also, more and more powerful chips each time can show different, I presume, can show more and more complex watch faces. Yeah. 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 I agree. It, it could be something as simple as that certain... Uh, uh, watches have a capacity limit so they don't want to sort of use up all the internal space with watch faces which you may not use yeah. um, whereas you've got reminders and other things which may need space on there so each part of the uh, watch has got limited uh, space allocated to it based upon the model that you currently have yeah true true so moving on then, uh, what about the iPad? Who 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 had thoughts on the iPad? The iPad looked quite interesting because um, the iPads now are sort of competing with the MacBook Airs and the lower end um, sort of uh, Apple uh, laptop range. The I, I like the idea of them having a bezel-less, um, smaller iPad because that could come in very useful for a lot of people who use iPads for uh, just viewing. Um, netflix or other tv shows um also it's very good for people who want to use the ipad as like a big screen so they can read their newspaper and other things like that um and i think a lot of the the, the good features which are on the ipad pro uh, are definitely needed on the on the sort of mid-range ipads and slightly lower down models uh that they, they do look very tempting um what what's your opinion on that martin well, the only thing I thought it's it's going to kill the smallest uh, iPad Pro that, that it, it competes at, at such a, a high level now. I can't I can't see the justification for an iP the small iPad Pro. Um, if you want the bigger screen size, then fine. The iPad Pro twelve point nine would would make sense. But uh, the uh, it's now got a more powerful chip in the iPad Air than it has in the iPad Pro, um, unless they're going to do sneak out a, a, a further update to the iPad Pros later this year or very early next year. Um, it, it just seems to be a there's a crossover point there about uh, uh, the cost of the iPad Pro. The ten Is it a 10.9 inch, 5 inch iPad Pro? Um, uh, I believe so. I'm just that, checking them. That compared to the, to the, the new iPad uh, itself, it just seems to be it uh, seems to be a conflict there. So, um, uh, and they'll have to because they've made the, they've made the iPad Pro such a machine now. They'll have to do some more work on the iPad Pro to justify the price. What did you think of the move away from the Lightning connector? I think that's a that's a very good idea in a way. 
if you are trying to get a worldwide model because more people have adopted USB-C um, and USB-C is more commonly found on a lot of laptops. So if you want to connect a laptop to your iPad, that comes in quite useful. Do, it, it's, not a fa- it's not a Thunderbolt port, though, is it? It's a, it's a USB-C. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones on my iPad here, that my, my MacBook Pro that I've got, these are Thunderbolt ports. So there's a slight difference in their transfer speeds and the power that they can transfer to, as regards USB-C. So, well, the uh, European Union would be happy because it's one unified port. Um, the other theory I had was I was wondering if it was to try and help out the, the education market. And the education market only wants to have one sort of cable or connector, and it makes it cheaper from their point of view. Because um, yeah. I'm looking at the, the, the prices of the UK prices for the new mid-range iPad Air. It's like 579 it's not bad. That's that's of quite good in the sort of education market. But if, yeah, you look, you're right. if you look at the the smaller iPad Pro, which uh, you know feature for feature, I think would is going to struggle against the iPad Air. So, I like the form factor. I like I like the 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 square um, um, r- r- uh, rim to the to the Pro itself. I, I quite like that. That's, that's sort of reminiscent of the. Uh, was it the iPad, the iPhone four, wasn't it? That brought that kind of look in first off with uh, with these uh, d- uh, diamond chisel bevels. Um, I did think that that looks better than the uh, the previous version. Will I be getting one? Um, I'm still on a, 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 an iPad Pro one, the first ones that came out. Still got that. Will I update that yet? Um, I think. I think I kind of look. My look now is that I, I I upgrade one piece of kit per year. I can't do all of it. I've got a, I've got an iMac. I've got a MacBook Pro. I've got a, an iPad. I've got the watch. I've got the phone. I can't afford to upgrade those all of those every year. So I think my way forward will be to to upgrade one of them each year to the to the latest spec. So that's a kind of that's a four year turnaround then, on all my kit. You know. Um, so yeah, maybe I might give the iPad this iPad Pro or this iPad Air a miss, and see what happens with the iPad Pro next year. Did anyone notice with the release of iOS fourteen if Apple dropped support for any of its older devices? Um, I haven't checked the background specs on that, but yes, they 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 they're getting to points where they can't they can't. Uh, continue to support some of the older ones because physically they don't have access to multi-core and double and, and dual-core chips. So there's going to be a, an issue with that. But uh, our technical expert Alistair will be able to tell us which ones. Uh, it, uh, it yes, so um, it's currently going for iPad 11, the iPad X series. So it's the XS, XSR. The X8, 8 Plus, 7, 7 Plus, 6S, 6S Plus, SE first generation, SE second generation, and iPod Touch. So that's all the. Um, so that's pretty much most of the phones from about 2016, 2015 onwards, because you're, uh, you've got the sixes in there. So, 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 so if you've got an iPhone six, that's no longer supported, but the six S is supported. Yeah. So that uh, and the SEs are supported. So it's pretty much most of the lineup at the moment. 
So sure. anyone who's got an yeah. iPhone six is, is what, would be wanting to upgrade anyway because their phone is what now six years old. Yeah, yeah. I found yeah, I, right. I found six came in what out in two thousand and thirteen was it two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen. So it's on that cusp of what they call their legacy um, period, and after five years. Oh. They classify them as you know so but even so going back that far uh it's still pretty pretty decent on most if you've got usually it's usually the kids that get the hand-me-downs don't they so if you're passing on older older machines that are still using bang up-to-date software uh, that's a, still a pretty good deal so getting a life a lot of life out of your bucks for for paying the so-called apple tax in the first place yes i agree and again, I think therein lies the rub and the problem for Apple. They they make good products that last. Uh, we don't have to upgrade uh, um, the machines each year or every other year. Um, I, my last Apple, I had a 17-inch 2010 I, I Mac, um, uh, MacBook Pro, and I only changed that last year. So it was nine years old, that, that laptop. And it was only starting to run out of puff on, on you know Final Cut Pro and ArchiCAD and some of the really heavy-hitting... Um, uh, software apps um, but as i said nine years out of a laptop which for me is you know cheap money cheap that cheap laptop that's good i agree with you um i think that the, the it's good that they kept dse because that was the first generation to have the slightly faster power chip so it allowed it the longer life uh, anything below the se had the older uh, motherboard and the other features which which limited it from um, being able to upgrade to different operating systems because since they changed the way they install the operating system, it, it's now made the downloads not as heavy on the actual phone, which is a, a good improvement. So you can, an SE came out 2016, what, March 2016, if I remember correctly. Um, so we're, we're still doing quite well. Four years for a phone is, is still very good value for money. Yeah. And I think, do you remember there was a big issue um, a year or so back about uh, Apple throttling back the uh, performance of the chip uh, to so to so called um, save your battery life when, when batteries are going to fail. I presume that kind of technology can still be used on older machines to throttle back some of the the more advanced features of iOS 14 to make these uh, pr these older machines more compatible. You may not get all of the features that uh, you know uh, that are on the new iOS 14. I think part of the reason they dropped a lot of the other ones is because the SE and the 6S have the fingerprint recognition on the front. Um, and so they, if you don't have that, you can't do the um, secure enclave, which means a lot of the security features can't be put into it. Mm. That was intriguing that they've now put the security, uh, the touch sensor on the power button. Yes, the on the on the new iPad that was quite interesting with uh, with the T two chip. Yeah, right. it's quite quite a clever advancement um, because it means. Sorry, Craig. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think part of the reason behind that is more integration into Apple Pay? Um, well, obviously, Apple Pay the securest form is through Face ID. Um, and if that's not on these lower spec machines, then having a touch center on the on off button, obviously it's got rid of the home button on the screen, which helps screen bezel. Um, and it could be technology that could be used on, on other, other pieces of kit, maybe, uh, 
um, you know, um, onto um, phones and stuff like that, the SE phone, uh, where you don't want to have a face recognition, but you have a touch sensor on the on-off button. The other thing which is quite interesting is one of the reasons they didn't want to put it on the screen was because if you look at the problems that Samsung and some of the other manufacturers have been having with having sensors under the screen, you get false recognition and the cost of the screen panel goes up. So maybe they're trying to reduce the cost of the iPads um, and saying, well, we can do it because it's quite a common occurrence for people to break screens on phones and stuff. So maybe they put it at the top so it's a more secure system. The other idea which occurred to me was those who have uh, disabilities, it's maybe easier for them to touch the top of the screen where the button is. So we're thinking maybe the older generation as well, uh, those who may be um, stuck in wheelchairs or other um, areas which Apple have been highlighting with the voice control features of accessibility of iPhone. So uh, it's a whole range of interesting features that could come from that. The the what other did... the other aspect of the show that really caught my eye and it was almost for me uh, you know I would have signed up on the spot uh, was Apple One. I thought that was I'm surprised it's taken so long. I thought they would have brought it out earlier, but now that they've got an even larger suite of services, including now this new iFitness, um, which I'm I de- that's definitely for me. I can just see me doing iFitness now with all these wonderful new. Um, or videos and music and everything. Yes, I'll have, have to get out of my armchair a bit more often now. Um, but I think no, the Apple One was uh, for me seemed to be a, a good move. I'm, if I'm looking what I'm already paying for storage and music uh, and those bits and pieces for the extra, I think it's going to cost me an extra couple of quid. All of a sudden, I get news, I get arcade, I get um, Apple TV, Apple Fitness. Um, that to me seemed to be a, a pretty smart move service-wise to um to to get us off the ground yeah it's also one way to get tv running better because that's not picked up as fast as they wanted i don't know if you noticed a lot of the mobile phone providers have now also started to integrate apple services into their bills i think ee is advertising a bundle that includes the television the music and apple arcade as you say, the the other thing as well, a lot of the Apple TV subscriptions, which were free last year, will be coming to an end over the next few months. So they'll want to try and save save them, and uh, maybe from from talk I heard between other uh, from other people and other uh, podcasters, that a lot of them weren't considering. Uh, I'm not going to carry on paying for Apple TV. So by bundling it all up into a a package which contains your music and your storage then that starts to make a lot of a lot of sense from a marketing point of view. Yeah, I've just looked at the prices. Um, the individual plan is fourteen ninety five a month. The family plan is nineteen ninety five a month, and Premier is twenty nine ninety five a month. So, family plan is with two hundred gigs of storage doesn't work out that badly if you get five people in your family. So, for twenty quid a month, it's it's quite competitive. Um, because you get music, TV, arcade, and iCloud, it's quite good value if you are a family because you divide that by five, yeah. and you've, you've you've done quite well from that. Yeah, no, I said I, I think it's going to cost me if, it's, if it works out that the premium family package is thirty pound a month, then 
that's going to be two quid a month extra from what I'm paying now for all the all the bits that we don't have. So I think that was a, that was quite that was a that was a that was the one item for me which is which was yeah give give me the number here's the credit card let's go I would have done that uh, on the spot. Do you think they'll eliminate some of the iCloud payment structures and replace it with the Apple One? Could do. Um, currently, I can see there's a 50 gig plan, 200 gig plan, a two terabyte plan. So maybe they're trying to keep it simple uh, because currently a vast majority of people are on the 79 pence plan where you get, I think, was it uh, a fixed amount of storage? And that's adequate for most people because most people exceed five gigs if you've got two devices. Um, and I, I think that works for most people. I think what we're trying to do is try to get people who are interested in maybe watching TV and some of the music to sort of upgrade. Uh, there was um, some interesting talk from Spotify, from Spotify saying, is Apple being anti-competitive uh, because they're um, trying to have a lock-in system? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out on that side. Yeah, the, the, this whole this whole um, um, situation with Spotify and, and is, is it Echo or Edge, the uh, gamesman people saying that, that it's unfair. Well, <clears throat> quite soon, if you if you you don't have to do, you don't have to go online, you don't have to join Apple. If they want all the customers, you know. It's uh, they can either stand up on their own two feet and say, "Well, fine, come to Spotify, come to us to buy your stuff." Um, the uh, you know, I don't, I I don't. As a matter of course, buy apps other than through the store. I know they're safe. I know they're secure. I don't have any problems with them. Um, they've got better at giving refunds as well. If you don't, if you don't like the software or something's not right with it, you can. It's much easier to get a refund on on, on your purchase. Well, I think the difference comes is uh, Spotify is saying that they have um, a different selection than Apple, and Apple have more new music, and Spotify has more sort of general music. Uh, but I think it was trying to say that um, it, you can only stay within the wall garden approach. So they were sort of arguing, well, if Microsoft can't have Internet Explorer bundled automatically into their program, how can Apple get away with doing their thing? So I think it's more on a European ground rather than the American market. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what does happen from this. But uh, it, it does seem strange because Apple have only got less than 20% of the market. In, for phones and less than 10% for PCs. So it's not like they, whereas with Microsoft, um, you know, they had 95% of the market. So if mm. them deciding you had to use Internet Explorer, yes, that was very monopolistic. But, you know, Apple don't have a monopoly. They, they are a choice. And as, as, as they love to say on the TV, there are other manufacturers available. Um, as I said, I don't, I don't understand. It just seems to be get Apple because... Uh, the other the other fact that they boast about is that Apple takes sixty percent of all the profits from uh, phones and and the like. Whereas the other companies, although they've got huge market share, they're practically giving the stuff away to um, to get people to buy. It's interesting. I'm intrigued. I don't know if you've seen as well. Amazon are now heavily advertising the fact that they are doing pay for access to particular podcasts interesting right that aren't, aren't part of the prime package now anymore you've got to pay no. on top of the 
you have to join the Amazon Audible books to then have access to, I think it's three high quality podcasts All series right. once well, a month. I know I just got my bill through from Amazon saying they want me to pay for my next year of Prime, so I've got to look at that. So, but yeah, but uh, so wrapping up the show was uh, I think um, I think overall it was a, quite a clear statement from Apple, and I think we are can expect something similar in a few weeks' time, um, and they'll they'll uh, there may be upgrades to the iMac, um, possibly uh, certainly there'll be, be phones. What do you think will be the the likelihood of the iPhone? iPhone 12, yes. So what could happen is what they've done with the Mac Pro in the past. They can announce it and they may come out in March um, because it could be that they may not be able to get all their manufacturing done quick enough. The other thing which is very interesting is they may drop the 5G chip off the iPhone uh 12 because it's not necessarily going to be cost effective in a lot of countries around the world well i think the the, the obviously the the um the uh 5g has has suffered from rollout because of the covid but obviously it's not mm-hmm. getting, uh, installed as quickly as possible um and i don't think i think i saw a 5g map of britain uh, and it's very limited very limited indeed uh, so yeah it wouldn't i don't i don't have any desire for a 5g chip at the moment it doesn't really bother me whether it's it's there or not and don't forget that apple have never been the pioneers in this field they've been more interested in reliability and battery life Mm. um than being the the market leaders they leave that to other manufacturers to do that for them um because they've always said that they prefer if they had a choice of having the latest and greatest or better battery life their consumers will always say better battery life True, and I think also the the other aspect is the is the the Apple bashers love it. If if the new the new i um, iPhone twelve with five G comes out, uh, and you're not getting good five G use from the phone because of there's not much signal, the uh, the emphasis won't be on the fact that there's poor five G. It'll be oh, it's poor Apple. The Apple can't get their phones to work, and and Apple are are very aware now of that. That they get blamed for an awful lot of problems unrelated to their phone, but it's considered to be an Apple problem. Um, so, yeah, you're right. They, that's why they maybe hang back, wait for the the rollout of 3G, 4G, 5G was the same until there was sufficient coverage and usage that the phones actually work pretty well. Yeah. The other thing which is interesting is that they were saying that. If the phone is good enough, would you necessarily want to upgrade? So they said that one of the things that's been leading people upgrading to the latest iPhone 11 was the very high-definition videos. So um, in places where you can't take an SLR camera, you can take an iPhone. And so that's been sort of quite an interesting topic, which some people brought up, is that the the camera on the iPhones now is superior than a a lot of old-fashioned cameras. You're right. Um, I don't know. You might have seen there's also been a huge explosion in camera accessories since the iPhone 11. There's far more accessories in terms of audio connectors, especially as well as like camera rigs to mount other camera equipment to it. And then they've got that Filmic Pro is, is splitting off into two different divisions. So they've got one specifically 
for the iPhone 11, and then they've got another one which they hope to release a bit later. Um, the other theory, which is quite interesting, is that they were talking about the idea of being able to record a lot uh, for news presenters, you know, for small areas, and then upload that up. The other thing which is interesting with the new iPhones is the fact that because you've got more lenses, you've got better light coming into the camera, so it gets around the problem of not having big enough lenses. And I thought what was also really interesting was that the, the fact that you could, you've got the neural engine inside, so it doesn't have to uh, use battery life sending it over a weak connection, so it can do a lot of thinking inside the phone to make the photos look better. Um, all of those look pretty interesting. And it will depend again. I suppose they will they will split it that the the iPhone the iPhone 12 Pro will get all four sensors uh, on the back, including the lidar, as well as the the two different uh, uh, three different um, lenses itself. As opposed to, I think the iPhone 12 models will just have the the three, won't they? They'll just have a uh, a normal and a telephoto, uh, yeah. and then the the uh, maybe the widescreen but they won't get all four that the uh, pros versions will, will contain one of the interesting things is that they they're thinking of doing is having a small uh, pro version so they they're looking at having keeping the same form factor as the se mark ii and putting a pro into that model so you have an iphone 12 pro in a small factor and then a big iphone uh, 12 pro so you end up with two pro models and you you drop the the, the non 12 number because when they've looked at the numbers of uptakes around the world they've discovered that people really like the pro features but they didn't like the the bigger size phone mm. Mm. Um, yeah wasn't there a, a rumor today about them possibly releasing an iphone mini and that they were registering the name Yes, because in some parts of the world, they need to have smaller phones, I, I was reading. Um, so if you're in a corporate environment, you don't want a big phone because that's a higher chance of cost of replacing the glass on it. So you want small phones which are cheap to replace and see how well that you can do from that. Um, I, I also um, am a fan of smaller phones myself uh, because they're easier to put in clothing and sort of uh, mount inside the car because if you have big screens it, it takes up a lot of space yeah i think we i think we could we could almost start a um a a, a, a bite and brew um uh, bingo card for what the name of the new iphone 12 will be iphone 12 plus max size big nano mini you know you name it we could we could put it on the car um we could welcome any suggestions. Anyone wants to send in their suggestions of what the new smaller phone might be called? Uh, that'd be interesting. What, what was also it would be interesting is to see um, with those five big American universities taking uh, an interest in the in the data coming in from the new uh, iPhone, uh, the, uh, the, from the new iPhones and also the uh, new Apple Watch. Will that result in other European or worldwide universities being able to access that data. So you end up with the university saying, well, what actually we'd like is a watch or a phone with these features, because from the data we're reading, this would be coming quite effective. Because if you remember, was it two years ago, Apple changed one of the features of how they record 
uh, movement because what they discovered is that people in wheelchairs do like a sort of elongated O for when they're moving and it wasn't recording the distance they moved because of the way in which the phone measures the sensors. So it may be that we might end up with more effective um, Apple technology coming out in the future. Well, they're always, always working on the, on the next big thing, aren't they? Yes, yeah. We caught up with Martin to find out why he joined the Met User Group and what's it all about. Um, thank you, Craig. Um, the, the reason I joined was I, I joined a, a new company back in 1995 um, who were all... Um, Mac based. There was no, they didn't have such a thing as a PC, which I'd never come across Mac before. It was uh, all new, fresh to me. And unfortunately, the boss said, Oh, I believe you've got a, a laptop, a, a PC at home, therefore you can be our IT guy, which was quite a shock since I knew nothing about um, Macs at all. So, the first port of call was to try and start finding out something. Um, and I heard about Mac user groups. Uh, and then found out about the London Mac user group. So I joined uh, back in year dot, 1905, 96, something like that, uh, basically because I knew nothing about Macs. Um, now, thanks to the guys there and, and the support I got and the help I got uh, was really, really useful. Uh, and I started to learn my way around a Mac and how it works. And um, the, the, um, the difference was there was no such thing as Control-Alt-Delete. I couldn't understand that. That was a whole new concept that you didn't have this um, way of, of turning the computer off and on again. It all worked. It just was very strange. Um, so the Mac group, um, I joined then. Uh, we It's a very social group. We've always uh, met in pubs, um, large rooms above pubs or, or, or in the pubs themselves. So it's very convivial. Uh, good chance to meet up and chat and talk, have a few beers. Usually there's some food around. The, the, the pubs normally have some good food. It's still nice to be able to have a chat and talk and eat and drink with your friends and colleagues and, and talk over the, the issues that affect you in basically in your, in your daily use of a Mac. It's all, all well seen, all these lovely glassy, uh, glossy adverts and everything that you see on the TV about being able to design a whole uh, record album on your iPhone. Um, it's not really like that in, in, in practice, is it? Um, people just struggle, you know, how do I send an email? How do I... How do I work um, uh, pages or numbers or Excel or anything? So that was what was very useful about a mug, that you could actually sit down and ask the dumb, stupid questions that you had uh, and get nice answers and not be treated like it was a dumb, stupid question. Um, so that's that was L mug, and it also there's, there's other mugs all around the country. Um, but we have seen a serious decline in the last 10 years of, of numbers attending the meetings. Uh, it's partly down to uh, the availability of help from Apple in so many different sources now. Obviously, you have all the stores open now, the Genius Bars. You have Apple support on the on the web, um, and so the the ability to be able to ask questions and get answers has spread far and wide. So yes, I think and all mugs all the way around the country. Unfortunately, we've lost some of the mugs. Um, I don't think there's a single mug left in Scotland. Uh, there's a couple in the Midlands. We've got some Wessex down in the in the southwest of the country, southeast, um, is covered by uh, one or two groups. So this podcast hopefully will be for people who uh, maybe don't have access to a mug, don't have a a local mug group that they could contact or join, um, and they can feel a bit more welcome into 
into the Apple world by uh, hopefully listening into to the, the, the Bite and Brew podcast. Uh, and we'll also be able to help out with maybe some question and answers for some of the things they've got, or even be able to point them in the direction of a, a mug group that they, they may want to join. Um, so all other mug groups who, who listen to this, if you listen in, please get in contact with us. You know, we're all here. Um, tell us what you think, how you experience your, your mugs all around the country. Um, and let's try and get a, a, a strong community of, of Apple users and lovers right the way around the country. If I, let's just say, for example, I've just bought a new Mac and I've literally just opened it up out of the box and stumbled my way across Mac user groups. How would I go about joining one? Or where would I find out some more information about them? Um, well, there is uh, obviously uh, Lmug uh, is based in the London area, and we cover quite a large part of the southeast. We've got members scattered far and wide through for, for for at least what sixty to seventy miles from from London. Um, the other one is there is a uh, UK Mug uh, website, um, which I can uh, uh, I'll put a link into the to the Lmug uh, page of how you can go about finding where the, uh, the mugs in your area are. There's also, if you go to uh, the apple.com site as well, there is a page there for mugs, and there are also some details of, of the mug groups around the UK. Do Mac user groups do anything other than just meeting up in a pub? Oh, yes. There's a, there's a lot of groups who, who, who only have an internet presence, for example. They, they only operate through uh, internet bases. Um, but other groups meet uh, in various different uh, uh, locales. It can be a library or it can be a, a sports hall or it can be a municipal um, a building. Uh, so there's, there are opportunities to get to see um, other, uh, other groups. Um, whether they are as um, welcoming as... Uh, 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 well, no, they're all sorry, wrong. They're all welcoming. It's whether or not they can get uh, the, uh, the facilities to have... Uh, one-on-one and group meetings. The London Mac User Group is a voluntary organisation of users and enthusiasts for all things Apple in the London area. As well as our podcast, we normally hold monthly meetings in central London on every second Monday of the month, as well as other events from photo walks to Christmas parties. To become a member of the Mac User Group, you can sign up online via our website at www.lmug.org.uk forward slash membership. Memberships start from as little as £15 a year, entitling you access to our monthly meetings, exclusive access to our Soundbite newsletter and our own membership only area where you can find discounts to your favourite Apple software as well as one-to-one meetups from our summer and winter buffet parties. Why not visit our website or send us an email for more information? In this part of the show, we try to answer all your tech questions from our members and listeners. If you have any questions for the team, you can always leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash mug forward slash message or if you're like me and you prefer a more traditional method you can always send us an email at podcast.lmug.org.uk first up we have a question from peter 
He says he's just recently bought a new MacBook Pro and wanted to find the best way to transfer all of his data across to the new machine. So if you have a time machine from your previous machine, you can um, do a time machine backup. But what I would normally recommend is if you've got a new machine, the first thing I would normally do is set up a test account just to test the machine is all working, put in all the updates from Apple, and then do um, go into applications and then utilities and look for migration assistant and then do uh, use that to transfer the data in. And the reason I do that is I learned this from an Apple genius, is that you want to test the brand new hardware to see it's all working carefully and correctly without any data on it. So if there is any problems and you have to contact Apple support, uh, you don't lose any time transferring data and then discover there's, there's a fault with it. Um, if you have a older Mac which doesn't have Migration Assistant, the next way you can do data transfer, which I've done on quite a few occasions, is if you have it on an external drive or even if it's a drive that you've pulled from another Mac, you can connect it up via USB, firewire, or USB-C to your current Mac and then if you look in the user folder, you'll see uh, your profile. And then you transfer each of the folders independently over. So you transfer your photo folder, the document folder, and move them across. Um, uh, a useful tip also is that if you are looking for the address book in the older versions of the Mac OS, you'll find it in libraries under application support. And you'll also say address book, and that's where your address book is stored. So this is pre-iCloud for those who are transferring from, say, uh, Snow Leopard across. Uh, the other small thing I've discovered is if you are transferring uh, from iPhoto to Photos, you will find that you can transfer all the photographs, but you can't transfer the albums if you're just doing a drag and drop because um, sometimes what can happen is a corruption of data, and so you don't get all the information so you just have to transfer the, the photos independently um, most of that is fairly easy to do um, once you've transferred in your data then you you uh, log into your new account and then you uh, have to go through to uh, system preferences and log into iCloud and then put in your Apple um, email address and your password and that will um, authenticate all the data you have on your uh, iCloud backup. So it may ask you for what is the password for your iPhone, what is the password for your iPad, if you have backups of that in your iCloud. So you, you go through that process and sign in, in all correctly. If you find at any point that the iCloud is not working or it, it doesn't seem to communicate what I normally would recommend is you sign out, restart the Mac, and then try signing back in again. Because sometimes when you put so much data back into a new Mac, um, it does get a bit confused. So it's it's quite common for the iCloud not to work sometimes. Um, do you have any other recommendations, Martin or Craig? Um I agree with what you said, though. The, the only thing I would uh, su um, suggest to people is that when they set their Mac up, um, normally you go through the process of your name and address and your where you live and all that sort of stuff. And that creates an administrator account, um, which is the base level account on the machine, which has total access to all 
uh, the aspects of the computer. But for day-to-day -day use, um, I would set up a separate, a separate account, a user account under your name or, um, whatever, or nickname, and only assign that user privileges. Uh, so it's not a user account. So it adds a, an extra layer of security so that if you're unfortunately caught up in a, a trawl by or a drive-by attack on your machine, if you're an administrator and something crops up and it says, oh, uh, please allow this, uh, this application to work, if you're an administrator and you type yes, all of a sudden you could have given away root, de root control to uh, um, a, um, a hacker. Whereas if you're in user, uh, you would get a warning saying you're about to change something in the base settings, which only an administrator can do. And it might give you that second chance to say, hang on, I don't want to do this. Um, there's an awful lot of sophisticated um, uh, 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 spamware out there trying to attack your computer. So I would just, as a matter of course, create a second account on your machine just for you to use and on day-to-day -day use. Of uh, and the OS it's referred to as a standard account, isn't it? So you have an administrator account and a standard account. And then in your day-to-day -day basis, yeah. you use the standard account for what you want. Yeah. Um, and the one of the new features I've, uh, you just reminded me of is when you transfer into the newer operating systems, it's it asks you to create a new password uh, when you're doing migration assistance. So try and choose a, a, a good level password if it's an administrator account, not something like welcome or hello or something less than seven letters. You, you probably want to go with sort of eight characters or yeah. more, I would recommend. The, uh, uh, I have a simple rule with my passwords, uh, which means I have separate passwords for every account I have, every website I go to. And all I have is I have a, a familiar term or number. Um, and to that, I put a prefix uh, of the first three or four letters of the event. So if it's, say, Microsoft, for example, it would be M-I-C-R then I would put, put uh, my, my name, Martin Kelly, and then add a number at the end. Uh, and that way you can quickly generate passwords for almost every different site you go to. But with a simple format, you are able to remember them uh, without having to go into key change access all the time. Um, I, do, I do find sometimes with Keychain, one password can also be the same, is that you don't have your uh, computer with you or your phone if you're in a, um, a strange environment or a different office block. All of a sudden, you can't remember these very complex passwords that are created by one password and an Apple. So simple method, give yourself a, a, a key word, a key phrase, and then add a prefix to it and, uh, as uh, a and way one, of making one simple. good piece of uh, advice I would say passwords. is if you can't remember what your email password is because you've been using it forever, uh, if you go into Keychain on your old Mac, uh, you will find uh, a listing of your email address and then you just have to put the administrator password in and you can find out what the password was because the amount of times I've gone around to clients or friends of mine and they say, my email doesn't need a password because they've never, they, they can't remember they put the password in five, six years ago. Um, and so they have no idea what that password is. And of course, it, it's not in a, a easy readable format. So a keychain is brilliant for finding passwords or for things. Very good. In regards to moving over to a, a new machine, say I've got some apps where I've customized the layout or I've bought a plugin 
what would you say is the best way to transfer those over? Uh, migration Assistant is excellent because Migration Assistant not only copies over your preferences, it copies over your cache files. It also copies the state of whether the application was. So um, the the only exception to the rule are the two absolutely huge applications which, which don't copy over nicely. One is the entire Microsoft suite, which has to be downloaded if you've got the Office 365 and put in as fresh. Or you have to put in the serial number if you bought it as a in in perpetuity license. And the other one which doesn't copy over nicely is Adobe's um, Creative Cloud. Adobe Creative Cloud, it will copy over the application, but it won't authenticate. You have to log into the Creative Cloud application, and then it will uh, download what it has at store because it has its own backup uh, separate. My advice to that would be if you're someone that uses lots of plugins, I would once you've purchased them, make a backup copy of that in your iCloud drive so that you've always got a, a reference point to go back to if you do need to reinstall it. And uh, another thing I found is uh, you can put uh, in Keychain, you can make notes. And so if you buy any software, you can just say the name of the software and then put the serial number underneath it and the date and the time that you bought it because the amount of times you use a plugin, you forget you've used it and then oh, what's the serial number? So for example, I use iStats and it's probably the, the first app I always put into any Mac. But can I remember what that long digit serial number is? No. So I just go into Keychain, find out what the serial number is and then put it straight in. We could do a whole show on backups um, at some point. We, we, if you want to go through that, some if someone wants to know more about that, please write in and and, and said we could we could literally do a whole podcast about backups and how you should go about that. So, uh, but that's that's for another that's for another show, Craig. Um, we'll, we'll bring that on next time. Certainly. If we'd like to move on to the next question, and um, we've had a question in from Chris in Central London. Hi there, Bruin Bike. This is the chairman. <laughs> uh, so, unusually, I use my uh, iPad as my main computer. I don't have a Mac anymore. Um, and I think I need to take it into Apple support because I'm getting some random touches on the digitizer on the touch screen. Uh, what's your advice on what I should do? Because I've got all my personal data on there. <laughs> should I... Uh, do I need to wipe it? What, what will those Apple technicians have access to? Or what, 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 should, I, should I take any precautions? What do you think? So what I would do is I would always um, make a backup to iCloud and then go onto the iCloud website to verify that the data has actually been transferred. Uh, second, I, if I had used a passcode I would or password, I would maybe set it to something very simple so that when I hand it over to the genius, it's easy. Um, the other thing to remember is that it, it's not uncommon for Apple to do erase and restore. So if you're taking an iPad in, they will say, do you mind if we erase everything on this iPad and restore it? Or if it's worst case scenario, it turns out it's a manufacturing fault, they will actually give you a brand new iPad or a nearly new iPad. So you lose everything. So I'd make sure you've got a backup for certain. Second thing, um, if you work for a company whereby you're not allowed to share the data with anyone, make sure you, you delete that particular application or any notes you have maybe with that company so you, you comply with um, any legal requirements. But traditionally, Apple employees don't 
have any interest in looking at the applications. Um, they don't really have enough time to to look at anything. What we're looking for is how quickly can I get you to the point of giving you uh, a working iPad and get you out of the store again? Um, would you have any other advice, Martin or Craig? Yes, I would recommend ensuring that you have a backup of your device, not only on iCloud, but also on a local machine, just in case. As Martin said, you can never have too many backups. Okay, so the next question is something more generalised, more about a piece of hardware. Um, I've recently had problems with my home Wi-Fi network and I'm considering buying a mesh network. Could you explain what exactly is a mesh network? How does it work? And are there benefits or disadvantages to using one? Uh, So mesh networks are very good. I currently use um, uh, Netgear's Orbit's mesh network, and I've also used uh, Google's mesh network. Um, So a um, mesh networks came out of the sort of 1980s when the military were doing experiments with their the testing of high-end availability, but didn't really come available until around about 2015. Um, they're a convenient way to provide a better and higher-grade Wi-Fi for an existing or inadequate network. So if you imagine a conventional router delivers limited Wi-Fi, um, unless you can hardwire it to another router. Uh, a mesh network is designed to provide a very easy way to transmit data between two or three different um, nodes. Um, and so I'll explain what a, a node is. So um, on most particular uh, routers nowadays, you have like a 2.4 gigahertz and a 5 gigahertz radio. And what these uh, sort of modern day mesh networks do is they uh, transmit the signal over between the two different routers so that they are um, always talking to them and relaying them. Uh, So highly capable mesh networks, which are network devices, use wireless radios that contain software that allows them to configure themselves into overlapping network without a central coordination, i.e. yourself. So you can get blanket coverage in a house without having to work out exactly which heavy piece of furniture you have to move in order to put the Wi-Fi in a different place. Um, In a mesh network, the the fundamental unit is not the access point of the gateway, but the node. Uh, A node is typical two or three radio systems or firmware that talks to uh, nearby. So you could have a smartphone and a laptop uh, both talking to slightly different routers or or access points because um, you're in between two of them. And as soon as you move up and down your house or your office, it immediately switches you to the strongest signal. So you don't have to sort of change signal. So it's a a very common uh, occurrence if you are in a, a house with multiple floors and you are going from the ground floor to the first floor you don't want to lose connection as you're going through the house the mesh network will automatically trans move you to the strongest signal without losing any connection um, also a mesh network is brilliant if you've got a lot of people on your network and they're doing lots of different things so i had at christmas i had 
I think we counted it, 17 different Apple or iOS devices on, on our network. We had four people on laptops, two people watching television, one watching Netflix, one watching Amazon, uh, the rest looking at social media, um, and someone was talking to Australia. And the mesh network was working out who needed which bit of information without having to have anyone managing it because it was working out where everyone was in the house and was working out the bandwidth quite easily. The downside with a mesh network is that these routers, in comparison to the average one that you get from your internet service provider, can be anywhere between two and five times as expensive. So, for example, when I bought my Netgear Orbit, that was £180. Now, compare that to about £30 or £40 that you buy an average router, it is quite a considerable difference. But the massive difference is you don't have to worry about any of the setup it, it provides a better throughput of signal and it provides a um, faster system now one of the cool things i've discovered about mesh networks is if a node goes down or powers down and crashes or the cat gets too interested and knocks one of them off the shelf the, sh the network doesn't go down um, each of the nodes can continue to communicate with one of the other nodes and will can keep on functioning. It automatically works its way around. So if you think of what a big mesh network is, that's what the internet is. It immediately works out how to transmit the data. So if one particular connection goes down, it reroutes the signal a different way. And the best way to think of data is if you imagine you had a jigsaw puzzle and you broke down uh, a, a letter that you were sending into a series of little jigsaw puzzles and put them into envelopes and put them into a post box, the postman would deliver them in slightly different ways because they would all come and be sent and received slightly differently. And then when it receives at the other end, it's all assembled. That's the same with your mesh network at home. Um, I find them very good in areas whereby you have poor coverage or you have jittery video streams on your uh, current network and you want to improve it. You do not have the ability to run Ethernet wiring through your house or your office. You do not want to be the person who's always doing the firmware updates or manually organizing stuff. Um, you just want to sort of turn it on, let it work, and not have to think about it. Uh, or be a administrator and log into something and say, okay, I'm going to set this up and deal with other things. Um, so it's probably the way forwards, especially if you are um, wanting to connect multiple devices in a, in a, a building which is not uh, centrally placed, because it doesn't matter how many antennas you add to a router, you will not cover a very large house, uh, because houses traditionally are on multiple floors, and you traditionally put the router on the ground floor, and if you're two floors up, you can't go through those layer of concrete because it's just too high. Um, that's where a mesh network comes into its own. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, Martin? Uh, yes, Alistair, I, I agree with what you said. That's a fairly comprehensive uh, description of what, what mesh is. Uh, it's basically to help you to get a more consistent um, signal uh, for, you to, for you to use on the machine. Um, uh, I've, I've installed yes, a mesh in my house because the one ensuring that you Sky have a backup of your device, not only on iCloud, uh, but also on a local did. machine, um, just in case. We, we As Martin said, out. you can got, never I have too many backups. Right out in the back of the garden, get it upstairs, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a solution to a problem. If you are finding that you're getting a fall off and you're losing signal, you're not able to get everything you want, then you may look at investing in a mesh system.
Okay, right, that's good. Do you have any suggestions, Craig, yourself? I was just going to say, um, personally, I've been using a mesh network for about two, two and a half years. Yes, it was an expensive investment, as you said, Alistair, but it does make a huge difference. Um, um, in my home, the walls are about 12 inches thick and always had patchy Wi-Fi until I invested in a mesh. I think the thing to remember with a mesh network is unlike a conventional router where you have a central point and then you're you're connecting things out maybe in a star configuration or you're joining things together like in a data chain where you're, you're running one cable from one router to another box through a Develo system or something like that. A mesh network tries to connect as, as many ways as possible back to uh, the device. So you may get, so for example, on some of the more modern routers you now get uh, two different wire, uh, radio frequencies on it so you get a 2.4 and two and five gigahertz to uh, connect your devices and then they have a second channel which is purpose is just to connect the different nodes together so you're running uh, different channels to provide you the fastest possible way to get the connection on and off the network so someone else can use this, uh, the network now, the other advantage, which a lot of people don't realize, is that if you're getting people on and off a network, that means you're not using vast amounts of electricity uh, to try and push out greater and greater signal. So your uh, neighbors will be grateful as well because you're not sort of uh, blanketing the entire area with your Wi-Fi. I just wanted to say a big thank you to Martin and Alistair for joining us on our first Brew and Bite show. And thank you to the Mac User Group for sponsoring us. And of course, not forgetting an even bigger thank you to our members and listeners for tuning in. We hope that you have enjoyed the show and we would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for our next one. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can always drop us a tweet at London Mac Group or send us an email at podcast at lmug.org.uk. I think we've come to the end of our first episode, but now you can join us next time, where we'll be speaking to a very special guest and we'll be answering more of your questions. In the meantime, you can join us on various social media channels, including Twitter, Facebook. Have a good week, stay safe, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.